Today's scripture reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 14. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall, have, you shall not make, your, make for yourself a carved image or any likeliness, likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the, under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the Father on the children to the, to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to, to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six, six days you shall labor and do, do all your work, but the seventh day is Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not work, do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who, who is within your gates. For, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may, may be long in the land that the Lord God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Hi everyone, it's wonderful to see all of you. Uh, thank you, Daniel, for reading God's word to us. Uh, reading the first seven of the Ten Commandments. And Dan ended with commandment number seven, which says, you shall not murder. I'm sorry. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not adultery. We've been considering each of these Ten Commandments, and let's just admit that this is a difficult one. It's a difficult one to deal with uh, for a few reasons. It, it might be the most uncomfortable one of the Ten Commandments for us to wade into because uh, it gets very personal, doesn't it? It's, it speaks into our private lives. Um, it speaks into the most intimate areas of our lives. It's also difficult to talk about adultery because some of us have experienced the deep hurt of betrayal from a loved one, from a spouse. Some of us are living with those wounds that have been inflicted on us by someone's infidelity. Some of us, maybe we, we're living with, with the guilt or the shame because we've inflicted those wounds you've been unfaithful to your spouse or to someone else, and, and perhaps you live with that burden, you live with regret or shame. Some of us are wrestling with questions about our sexuality, wrestling with guilt over what we know is sexual sin in our lives. Well, from the start, what we really need to do is to know that God's commandments are meant to lead us to God's grace. God's commandments are meant to lead us to God's grace. That is, God's law points us to his gospel. 
We never stop at the law. We let the law drive us to look at the cross of Jesus Christ. There is healing. There is forgiveness. There is cleansing. There's renewal for us there. Because our God is able to heal. He's able to forgive. He's able to cleanse. He's able to renew you no matter what your relationship history looks like. No matter what your sexual past has been. And he wants you to see that today from the get-go. God's commands, they they shine a spotlight on our sin. You know, we're going to see that shortly. God's commands shine a spotlight on on our sin and on our brokenness. But it's only, it's only so that we'll also see that his grace is greater than our sin. That his mercy is bigger than our sin. So it's best for us to begin today by defining our terms. When God says, you shall not commit adultery, we got to ask, what is adultery? What is adultery? It's, maybe it's not a fashionable word. Nowadays, we use words like affair or um, uh, indiscretion. I've heard that one, which, which strike me as euphemisms, right? They take a very serious thing and make it a little more palatable, a little less serious, indiscretion, affair. But what is adultery? A basic definition is this. Adultery is a sexual relationship with anyone to whom you're not married. Adultery is a sexual relationship with anyone to whom you are not married. I told you, God gets personal. He's getting into our intimate lives here. The things that we would say to others, hey, that's not your business. Don't speak to me there. God says, no, we're going to talk about this. And I know that, that definition of itself doesn't go far enough. There's more that could be said, and we will look at more deeply at what adultery is. In fact, it doesn't, it's not even always just sexual. There's, you know, perhaps you've heard the term emotional adultery. It's possible for a married man or woman to get so involved in emotionally with a, another person that, for whom they're not married, and there's a level of infidelity there. But, but we're starting here. This basic Simple definition. And what God is telling us here on the surface, the plain meaning of this commandment, at its simplest level is this, do not have a sexual relationship with anyone with whom you're not married. Like I said, we're going to see that there's more to it than that. But even that, at that surface level, some of us might already be uncomfortable with that. (laughs) That might bother us already because we, we don't like anyone telling us what to do with our bodies. It's my body. I'm a grown-up. Even if I'm not a grown-up, I, I, it's my body. And, and so if what I'm doing is consensual, who is anyone to tell me no? And when we react that way, the problem is that it's, it's because we're not acknowledging that God is our creator. We're not acknowledging who he is, and, and we're missing the fact that because he's our creator, he knows us, and he longs to protect us. He longs to see us thrive. And so when he tells us, don't do this, it's because he has a better way for us to live, a better way that will lead to our thriving, to our flourishing. So we're going to start where we have been starting recently. We're going to say, what does this commandment reveal to us about God? What does this commandment reveal to us about God? And simply it reveals this, God values faithfulness. Uh, He cares about faithfulness. So here's what I mean. 
when, when the command says, when God says, do not commit adultery, what is the opposite of adultery? What is the opposite of cheating? It's not just not cheating. The opposite of not cheating is faithfulness. The opposite of adultery is true, committed, holistic faithfulness. Let's unpack that a little bit. You know, God deals with his people throughout the Bible on the basis of covenants. He, he makes these, these, these promise, promises to people. He binds himself with these promises. He commits himself with these binding vows. He says, here's who I will be to you. Here's what I will do for you. And he never breaks his covenant vows. When God is speaking to his people throughout the Old Testament and in the New as well, it often he sounds like a spouse speaking to his or her beloved. He makes promises like, I will let, never leave you or forsake you. That's one he repeats a lot. That, that's something God loves telling his people. He says it in Joshua. He says it elsewhere. I will never leave you or forsake you. It, it, it sounds like a, a husband or a wife uh, uh, stating their vows at a wedding ceremony. I've heard it said that when husbands, when, when bride and, a bride and groom state their vows at a wedding ceremony, it's more that they're doing more than just expressing their love to each other. No, they are promising future love to each other. It's one thing to say, I really love you. That's not a vow. That's just expressing how you feel. It's another thing altogether to say, I will love you. I promise to stay committed to you, loyal to you, at your side, even when I'm not feeling it, even when you're difficult. So God calls his people his bride. And he speaks in these covenant terms to them all the time, and he reminds them, I will be faithful to this covenant. I will, I will hold up my end. I will keep my vows. And when God's people fail to keep their side of these covenants, what does God do? He often calls them adulterers. He uses this language. He says, you people in the Old Testament, he says, you, you're, you're spiritual adulterers. You're cheating on me. I've been faithful to you, but you've worshipped other gods. Jeremiah 9, he says, for they are all adulterers, a company of treacherous men. He says, they're, they're not trustworthy, my people. And still, in spite of the fact that his people are unfaithful to him, he continues to be faithful. He's constant. He is steadfast, even when his people fail to keep up their end. In Psalm 89, this is God speaking about his people. He says, he's talked about how unfaithful they have been, but then he says, but I will not remove from him, that is from my people, from my beloved, I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. He can't be false to his faithfulness. In verse 34, he says, I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. My, my word is my bond. I said that I will never leave you or forsake you. I cannot leave you or forsake you. And that's one thing that this commandment reveals to us about God. And, and by the way, we were made in God's image. So, so we value faithfulness too, just like he does. Deep down, we all want we want those we love to be loyal to us, don't we? Don't we want the people that have told us they love us to be committed to that, to keep their vows, to not betray us? 
We deeply desire that. And, that, and it's partially because we're wired to desire that. We're made in the image of a God who values faithfulness. So we too say faithfulness is good. Plus we know, we know that fidelity, marital fidelity, relational fidelity, it, it leads to security, it leads to health, it leads to flourishing. We know that faithfulness leads to good things. We know that infidelity and betrayal leads to destruction, leads to hurt. It leaves casualties in its wake. Some of us have experienced that firsthand. Maybe some of us have experienced it in our homes because we've seen our parents be unfaithful to each other. And there's been fallout, casualties, generational effects. So yes, God values faithfulness. And because we're made in this image, we value faithfulness too. But, but, you know, it's interesting. Even though we value faithfulness, we're still tempted to not be faithful, aren't we? We're, we're tempted to betray others for our own good, for our own pleasure. We're tempted to betray other people who are made in God's image if it suits us. And if the if our desires are leading us in that way. And that brings us to the second thing we got to see here. How do, what, what does this command confront us with? What does the seventh commandment confront us with? Well, here's one thing it confronts us with. We want fidelity from others, but we're threatened by the call to be faithful. <laughs> Isn't this true? We all want everyone to be faithful to us. But sometimes we squirm under that call to be faithful no matter what. To hold to our commitments. Because sometimes we want to keep our options open. We're, we're okay with commitment as long as there are, there's a way out. We want the freedom to leave. We want the freedom to wander. We want the, want the freedom, to, freedom to seek satisfaction elsewhere if we're not feeling this relationship very much anymore. And God says that's not freedom. That's not freedom. That doesn't lead to your flourishing or your joy. We want sometimes to express love, but we don't want to be bound by love. We want to express it as the feelings lead us to, but we don't want to be bound by that. But God's version of love, this covenant love, we've looked at it before in, in, in previous sermon series. This hesed, he calls it, steadfast covenant love. It's a binding love. It's based on promises made and that must be kept. Isn't it interesting how our society is, uh, seems to be captivated by stories of betrayal and, uh, and adultery? It, it, some, it makes for big news, right? Celebrities cheat on each other. You know, two hosts on the morning show, they cheat on each other. And it's like, it's in the news a lot. Is Kanye being, was he faithful to Kim? I don't know. Was Kim faithful to him? I don't know. We're interested, and I have a theory. I think part of the reason we're interested is because we like to judge people for being unfaithful, but also it's because we can relate. We're like, they're, 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 what they did was wrong, but I, I, I get it. I get it. You see, this, this commandment confronts us with something else. It confronts us with the fact that at heart we are adulterers. 
We are all of us adulterers deep down. Jesus made this clear. Jesus is so good at taking a command that everyone thinks they understand, and then, and then, and then he presses in. It's as if he lifts the lid on it and says, let's go down deep into this command and see what it really tells us about ourselves. In Matthew 5, 27, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. He doesn't negate that, by the way. He says, that's true, you should not negate adultery. But then he goes, Let, let's go in deeper. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. He's speaking to men here, but it's true for women. He could have said any human. Everyone who looks at a human with lustful intent has already committed adultery with that human in his or her heart. He goes right to the heart. And he talks about lust. Lust can, can be thought of as this. It's, it's a desire, but it, it's a lingering kind of harboring desire. In this case, it's a desire to, to consume, to use. Adultery, in a sense, really is a using of others. It's using people for your personal pleasure, consumption. What Jesus is describing here is not you walking down the street and seeing an attractive person and saying, wow, that's an attractive person. I'm walking along. It's more than that. It's much more than you saying, wow, that, that person really is pretty or that, that guy really is handsome. It's so much more than that. It, it's, it's, a, it's a lingering, harboring desire to gain pleasure from this person that you have no right to. Many years ago, President Jimmy Carter, some of you are old enough to remember this, was asked in an interview if he had ever committed adultery. President Jimmy Carter, who's now um, in hospice care, I believe, right? President Jimmy Carter um, said, well, I've, I've, I've never committed physical adultery, but I've certainly committed adultery in my heart. And he was mocked for that. It was, people thought it was hilarious. He really thinks he's guilty of adultery? This guy's like squeaky clean. Never, never an element of scandal or immorality in his life. <laughs> but he thinks he committed adultery. That's funny. He actually took Jesus' words here very seriously. Because Jesus was concerned with the intent of one's heart. You see, one can commit adultery long before, um, yeah, long before there, there's a rendezvous in a, in, a, in a hotel room or anything like that. Now the adultery starts earlier. I think that this speaks to, to one of the problems with pornography, actually, because if what Jesus is saying here is true, then pornography, the use of pornography, equates with adultery. So that if you're married and you're using pornography, you're being unfaithful to your spouse. I think Jesus' advice would be to face that not to justify it, but to confess it, to seek forgiveness from your spouse and from the Lord. Ask someone to help you walk through repentance and fight that, especially if it's ingrained the strength of, a, of an addiction. But yeah, we're all adulterers at the heart level. And this commandment also teaches us that if we are already adulterers at the heart level, then certainly physical adultery is a possibility for any of us. 
If you don't think so, all you have to do is hear stories of some people who found themselves falling into physical adultery. Who would have said in, a year earlier, perhaps, no, I never would have done that. Never would. There's a warning here in Jesus' words as well. Going back to that passage in Matthew 5, he goes on to say, because, because adultery begins in the heart, he goes on to say, verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And your right hand, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that whole, your whole body going to hell. You see what he's saying? Uh, lust, sexual sin is destructive, so take it seriously. You see, his attitude is not, we are all adulterers, we all sin in this way, so it's no big deal. No, he's like, because we all sin in this way and because we all have the potential of further sinning in this way, we must all take it very seriously. We must do something about it. And so he says, if your eye is causing you to sin, your hand is causing you to sin, it's better to cut that off. It's better to take drastic measures to prevent further sin. And I think that has application to, to the use of pornography, too. I think it speaks to measures that can be taken, drastic measures that should and must be taken in some cases to cut off access to porn, to anything else that's leading you down a path towards sexual sin. But as we've seen in the, other, in the case of the other commands, the commandments don't just confront us with sin. They teach us. They instruct us. And, and that's what this one does too. It teaches us that the seventh commandment isn't just about not cheating, no, it has more to say to us than that. In fact, it has something to say to married people, to single people, to divorced people, to young people, old people. You see, this commandment teaches us what sex is and isn't. And that's something that our culture seems to be very confused about. A lot of us are confused about it. What is sex and what isn't sex? What, 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 what is the significance of it? How much does it matter? What role should it have in my life? The, tenth, the seventh commandment leads us down the pathway of truth in all those areas. For one thing, this commandment tells us that sex is more than just an expression of love. It's more than just an expression of affection. We know that intuitively, right? We know that. Like, sex and a kiss are not the same thing. Like, one matters more, right? One is more valuable. Um, we can express affection by giving gifts. We can express affection by giving flowers. <laughs> but we all know that giving our bodies is something altogether different, much more valuable. And so what the commandment teaches us is that, according to God, sex is a powerful bond. It, it creates a powerful bond. I'm going to show you this from Jesus' words. He's speaking in Matthew 19, and it says, The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And what they're alluding to is that under Old Testament, well, even in, in their time, what was happening in many cases 
was um, divorce was being taken rather lightly. Um, women especially were being disenfranchised uh, through, through divorce. A man, for instance, could, in some cases, uh, divorce his wife very easily, gaining his own freedom, economic, social, sexual freedom, and she's left with nothing. It was a debated, debated issue in any case. But Jesus says this in response, because usually this is what he does. He hears a question, and he answers the question below the question. He goes deeper. He says, have you not read that the one who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Jesus goes back to Genesis. He's, he's addressed. Some have said that Jesus talks, doesn't talk about gender or doesn't talk about sexuality. He does. He's talking about gender and sexuality right here. He says, don't, don't, have you not read that God who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. He's saying, man, woman, come together, they become one flesh. Then in verse 6 he repeats it, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. He's quoting Genesis, which he believed to be God's word. He's affirming it. He's talking about marriage here, but he's also talking about sex. He's not just talking about marriage. He's talking about sex. He's saying when this man and this woman come together in marriage and, and, and consummate that, that, that covenant through sex, they become one flesh. There's a bond. There's a bond. It's a powerful act of bonding with another person. I think that over the centuries, our cultures have lost sight of that. We've begun to think of sex as something more casual, but it's not. I mean, think about the fact that what Jesus is describing here makes possible the creation of a human being made in the image of God. There's nothing casual about that. That's unique. That's remarkable. Apart from the context of marriage, sex actually has the power to harm us. It will do damage to us, to your mind, to your soul. And some of us carry wounds. Like I said, some of us have inflicted wounds. No wonder, back in Matthew 5, Jesus says, take drastic measures to guard against sexual sin. According to the Bible, sex is a powerful bond. According to the Bible, sex actually bears witness to God, too. It bears witness to God. Sex is designed in the context of marriage to tell the world about God and his gospel. It's it's supposed to communicate to the world something about how God loves his people. He loves his people intimately. He loves his people faithfully. He loves his people steadfastly. And so in a marriage relationship, if you're married, you get to communicate to the world something about who God is and how he relates to us through your marriage. That doesn't mean that single people or divorced people or widowed people can't reflect God. They certainly can. 
single people are no way second class or anything like that in God's, in God's eyes. Jesus himself bore the image of God and reflected God perfectly as a single man. In fact, Jesus tells us that in the new heavens and the new earth, when Christ returns to make all things new, we will not be married and unmarried. We will simply live as people in a marriage relationship with our God. And so as married people now, we get to reflect the relationship between God and his church now. As single people, you can also reflect a reality about the identity of God. You can reflect the fact that he is, he is your groom. He is your protector, lover, keeper. Your state as a single person, in one sense, is more consistent with what will be all of our eternal states eventually. But for those of you who are married, you get to demonstrate God's love by being faithful to your husband or wife. See, that's not just cheating. I mean, not just not cheating. It's deeply rooted faithfulness. It means seeking the good of your spouse, sacrificing for your spouse, remaining committed no matter what. Remember, remember God's people received these Ten Commandments when they had just left Egypt, where they were slaves. And so God brings them out of Egypt, and he says, now you're free. I have liberated you. You are my covenant people. I love you. I've rescued you. And now you're free to live out that identity. I want you to show the world what your God looks like. And so he gives them these commandments. So in a world that's plagued by lying and murder and workaholism, nonstop work, he says, I'm going to give you a better way to live. And in so doing, you're going to communicate to the world how good your God is. By living this different way, this better way, you will communicate to the world how different and better your God is than what the world has to offer. And the same is true with regard to being faithful as husbands, as wives, faithful to our covenants, whatever covenants you're in. Through that fidelity, we communicate something about who God is. I'll say one last thing this uh, commandment teaches us. I don't think I put it on the slide. I don't think it's up there, but this commandment teaches us to passionately love our spouse. For those of you who are married, okay, I'm sorry. I don't mean to just focus on on, on married people here because I don't think this is all just for married people. But if you're married, this commandment teaches you to passionately love your spouse. Okay? Again, the the opposite of, of committing adultery is not just not committing adultery. The opposite of committing adultery is passionately loving. Marriage is much more than just sex, isn't it? It's not less than that, though. So I want to urge you. The commandment urges us to passionately love our spouses if you're married. I'm going to leave it at that because I can feel the cringe coming from my family over here. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep it moving. <laughs> The, the question we have to ask ourselves, because the, the commandment has a lot to tell us about, um, about uh, what sex is and what sex isn't. And it, it's led me to ask the question, where, where do we get our take on what sex is? Like, if we're not getting it from 
commandment number seven, and the rest of the scriptures, if we're not looking to what Jesus said in Matthew 5 or what he, we're gonna, or what he said in Matthew 19 that we're going to look at later, if we're not getting our idea of what sex is and isn't from Jesus, where are we getting it from? Where, where are we getting our relationship advice from? I remember many years ago, I was working in a coffee shop back in Fort Lee in Jersey, and I remember there was a, there was a, a, a woman there with some friends, and they were, these friends were helping this woman uh, text a guy that she was interested in. And it was the first time, I, 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 I now know that this is, this is a thing, this is a phenomenon, but like at the time, I had never seen this before. It was like, as a community, we're going to help you know how to respond line by line to this person that you're interested in, who may be interested in you. And it was fascinating. It was fascinating, partially because I think her friends were giving her the worst advice possible. I almost wanted to break in and be like, hey, listen, I don't know any of you, but I'm thinking that maybe this guy would want. It's like we all wanted to help her, but she was getting really bad advice, but she was taking, I think. I don't know. Maybe the relationship worked out beautifully. Maybe they're married and happy now. I don't know. But it made me wonder, geez, sometimes we can get relationship advice from the wrong places, and we don't even realize it. Some of, some of you maybe are getting relationship advice from friends who are clueless <laughs> or, or, or from friends who have a history of failed relationships, and they're advising you. Or at least they're, they're, you're, you're, you're absorbing their, their principles, their guiding principles for successful relationship and how to view sex. You're, you're, you're absorbing that from people who maybe are as confused and clueless as you might be. Some of us are getting relationship advice and sex advice from a world that's clearly broken, that's, that's actually unraveling. And whether it's through social media or some other, some other way, we're taking that advice. Again, again, through the seventh commandment, and not just here in the seventh commandment, but everything that it points to in the scriptures, Jesus' words, words elsewhere, Jesus is saying, listen to me. I love you more than you love yourself, and I've got, I've got wisdom for you that will lead to your joy. It will lead to your flourishing. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be beautiful, that your relationships are always going to work out just right, but I will give you wisdom that you can't get anywhere else. He wants you. He wants your well-being. He wants you to thrive, and he's saying, just listen to what I have to say about this. Commandment comes with promise for us. And here's the promise. Here's one promise. It's that Jesus has so much grace for adulterers. And he's faithful to forgive and heal and cleanse us. He has so much grace for sexually broken people with bad histories. Who've messed up so many times. Who wonder if they even could be monogamous if they tried. Oh, yeah, we've all sinned sexually in some ways. It's certain that the church generally uh, tends to, to single out certain kinds of sexual sin and say, like, that's particularly bad. Let's focus all our attention there. Let's not pay attention to this sexual sin over here that we're guilty of, right? Religious people tend to do that. But the fact is that we're all sexually broken whether we're confused about our attractions or whether we're certain about our attractions. We're all sexually broken and we've all sinned. Jesus makes that clear. 
he comes as he often does. He says, if you think you're innocent of breaking this command, let me show you your heart. Let me show you what's really going on in your heart. But then after revealing our sin, he shows us so much mercy. He shows us so much grace. I I don't know anywhere where where it comes across to me more beautifully than in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, there's a story there, an account that tells us that Jesus was, was sitting in a temple, in the temple, and he was teaching. And the scribes and the Pharisees, these, these very religious folks, brought, brought a woman to him and, 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 and says, placed her, like somehow just kind of bullied her or pulled her in and placed her in front of Jesus and in front of everyone else in the temple. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. What do you say we do with her? They even went on to say, they said, the the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What what do you say, Jesus? What do you say? Imagine uh, Imagine the fear of that woman. Imagine the shame she was experiencing. And she sat there surrounded by people, probably mostly men, who held in their hands the power to shame her, to hurt her, to crush her. Imagine the fear she felt. Imagine the anxiety that she was experiencing in that moment. Everything was crashing down on her. The, the account raises some questions, of course, like, like, who was she committing adultery with, and where is that person? Where is that guy? He wasn't dragged out in public. Jesus does not immediately respond to their question. As usual, he goes deeper. He, go, he, goes, he, he addresses a question below the question. John says that he bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. That fast. What in the world is that? He bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, in the dust or in the dirt. And people have speculated, what, what was he writing? John doesn't tell us. What was he writing? What was he doing? Some people have speculated. I, I've heard this one. I, I really don't know it's true. I kind of like it, though. It, some people have speculated that he was, he was writing in the dust the names of all the women that these religious folks we're committing adultery with. I don't know if that's true or not. Something happened in that moment, though. Because John goes on to say in verse 7 of John 8, as they continued to ask him, so they kept pressing. He's writing, and they kept pressing him with questions. What do you do? What do you say? What do we do with her? It says, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and he rode on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones. (laughs) And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. I wonder if she was still scared in that moment. Maybe she still was. I'm not sure. Maybe she was starting to feel a little bit of comfort, a little bit of relief, like my accusers are leaving It says, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? 
And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is the heart of Jesus towards that woman. They wanted to shame her. He refuses to shame her. And he won't shame you. Instead, he'll say, trust me, follow me, and find life. He'll say to you, like he said to her, because we're all that woman, we're all that woman. He will say to you, I don't condemn you. And like he said to her, he'll say to us, leave behind your sinful practices. Leave behind your destructive practices and patterns of life. Leave behind the adultery, the lust, the pornography. Leave it behind and trust me. We are all that woman, in a sense. He died for that woman. He died for that woman. And he died for you, too. And when he was on the cross, he was there, he was betrayed. He was betrayed. The covenant-keeping God was betrayed. He was forsaken. And on the cross, he carried the weight of your unfaithfulness. He carried the weight of my sexual sin, of your self-gratification, of your leering and using and lusting. He carried it. And this same Savior who died for you says, listen to me, sex is a, is a gift. It's a gift for a man and a woman who are joined in the covenant of marriage. Cherish it in the context of that lifelong bond and, 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 and stop damaging yourself. Stop injuring your soul. Trust my way. Come to me and find forgiveness and cleansing and healing. And he says, he will give you a better way to live. Jesus offers us today a better way to live. Some of you maybe are suffering because you've experienced betrayal. Maybe you're suffering under the weight of a broken marriage. Some of you maybe are, are whether you're married or you're single, you're struggling sexually in some way. Maybe, maybe you, you've given yourself up to, to certain practices that are not what God wants for you. Perhaps you even feel addicted to those things. I want to encourage you to bring it into the light and confess it to him. Maybe you're confused about how to think about your own sexuality. Again, you can bring that to him. He sees you. He loves you. and He wants you to experience wholeness and peace. This is who he is. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would communicate to everyone in this room the depth of your love and compassion and mercy towards broken people. I, I suspect, Lord, that that woman who was, who was dragged into your presence was filled with fear and filled with shame, and maybe she was filled with guilt. But when all was said and done, when you finally spoke directly to her, and she saw your heart for her, she experienced who you really are. She saw the beauty of your grace and your mercy towards broken people.
And so I ask, Lord, that you would give us that same experience. That, that, that you would grant everyone in this room the blessed privilege of seeing and knowing how much you love them. How gentle you are. And may everyone in this room hear from you, I don't condemn you. May each of us hear your words of forgiveness and acceptance. And may each of us here experience the power of your spirit to help us walk in purity and reject sexual sin. In Jesus' name, amen.